market, just make sure you know who your audience is and, and then whether you own them or you can find a place to reach them, just connect with them and then uh, keep that feedback loop going because that's going to make you really successful. Hello everyone, welcome to a new episode of the Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. This is Alessandro Boglieri, CEO and co-founder of the Influencer Marketing Factory and with me today, Marshall Morris, co-founder of Home Life Brands. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, excited to be here. Amazing. And uh, we, we met not so long time ago, but uh, I have to say that I, I loved you that energy from, from day one when we you know just briefly met and I was like, Marshall, has to be on the show, on the podcast. I know that you have a lot to say and you, uh, in the past years, learned a lot, right? From social media and growth hacking and so on. Yeah. So I want the audience, right, to learn more about uh, you, yourself, uh, and everything that you built so far. But uh, just like, you know, can you can you tell a bit more about, uh, about yourself? Also know that mm -hmm. you are like from New York, but now you're living somewhere else. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would like yeah. to know a bit more about like your, your story. Got it, yeah. So, uh, out of, okay. So I'll give you the abbreviated because every entrepreneur has a lot of, a lot of journey. So I'll give you the abbreviated version. So I grew up in upstate New York, um, and I joined the military, uh, to pay for college. And then nine 11 happened while I was in basic training. So I got deployed with a top secret clearance to New York city to, to sue basically support flights. Cause like we went to the middle East pretty quick after nine 11. And so someone needed to make sure there wasn't any domestic terror events here again, you know? So I was a uh, so I got stationed in New York City to just basically manage uh, supplies that were flying back and forth to the Middle East. Um, after that, I decided, hey, I'm done with the cold weather, and uh, decided like it's time to to go to California. So because um, that was like the dreamland when you come from New York. There's like New York and L.A. right, like dueling cities. And I'd done New York, and it's like okay, it's time to do L.A. So. I packed up a car, some clothes, and then a guitar, and I drove out uh, and just ran out of room, just 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 because I knew that once I got there, I'd figure it out, right? Um, since then, I've we've I've built built multiple businesses. We exited one, uh, 2015, for over seven figures, and then this business right here, uh, Home Life Brands, which we're in now, is uh, runs multiple e-commerce businesses and media businesses under one brand, uh, and we're an eight-figure business with 70 employees. So, uh, it's a long shot from a a kid in the car driving wow. across country. Amazing. Amazing. Fantastic. And, uh, what would you, is there anything that you miss from, apart from the cold weather? No, no, no one likes that, but uh, is there anything that you are missing nowadays from New York state, uh, compared to, to California? Um, you know, they have different energy. It's, mm -hmm. you can tell people from different places. Um, I like, I like, I love, I miss the pizza. I mean, if, if you want to get down to it and the bagels grew up on that, you know, grew up on that, that East coast bread. Um, they're both so different. The one thing about California though, is it tends to be more of a, we have sunshine year round, mm -hmm. you know, Southern California. Yeah. So our work culture tends to be a little bit different. Like in New York, I mean, we were, it was hard charging until you had a snow day, then you get to breathe kind of California has a different, because we've so we don't have snow days, you know, we do, we have sunshine and very rain that hasn't happened that often. So our work days and the way we work it here, it tends to be a more, a little more fluid, meaning like we tend to have four and a half day weeks, like where you're, we're basically, you know, when you're halfway into a Friday here, you're like in the weekend, you know what I mean? Um, and so in New York, it was like every single hours was precious because it was like, it's going to snow or there's an event, right. Or like, but here it's like, it's always warm. So I, I, what I, 
what I do really enjoy is I enjoy how fluid the work day is here in California. Like everyone's pretty casual. Everyone's enjoying the weather all the time. Um, in New York, I do, we were, we were definitely had a, more of a sprint, but we had, whenever you got those time, that time off that like the snow day or like whatever, you really, really enjoyed it. So uh, they're both were different, but um, I think pizza and fall are the two things that I hear people talk about the most that they miss like the fall weather and then just good pizza. It makes sense. I mean, I'm Italian. So for me, pizza, like we could do an episode just about, you know, food, you know, like we were, we're going to do one dedicated just to like, you know, 12 questions about food, but, uh, uh, and yeah, just these days that we're recording, I'm actually in California and uh, yeah, I definitely can see the different, let's say the flow and approach to work and, uh, uh the people it's, it's absolutely two different worlds again, you know, um, but, uh, but I can see that you can learn right from different angles and different approaches. So I, I like that. And uh, so getting back to, again, your business, right? You briefly, you know, before just said and mentioned something, but uh, can you just say a bit more like um, how it started? Why did you started it? Um, did it start in your mind be like, okay, it's going to be this big and we're going to get into numbers later? Or was it like an experiment? Like, can you, can you tell me more like uh, how, how everything started? Yeah. Yeah. It, it wasn't, it was a complete experiment. You know, I, I don't think we ever thought, I like really don't think we ever sat down and, and framed it up like, hey, let's let's build a business that'll do you know, um, you know, tens and tens of millions of revenue year, per year uh, with all these employees at, at all. Like there, that was not the genesis. It was more of like trying to solve a problem that we had then, which was well, a like we don't want to work for other people. Like we want to kind of build our own thing and have control our own destiny. That's the first part, right? Like we wanted something different. Uh, my business partner then he was driving, you know four hours a day in traffic. And if you know anywhere in traffic, whether it's New York or California or whatever, like that gets exhausting, right? I think at that point in time, I added it up. It was like I was spending 30 hours a month driving. And I was just like, that That was a fundamental component that was like, I don't want to do this anymore, right? Mm -hmm. But you need a business. So uh, really where it started was we um, was really experimenting. So like, you'll see this a lot nowadays too. This is what we were doing is just learning social uh, when it was really young, trying to figure out like uh, the new Facebook was newer then really just trying to experiment with things to figure out, can we make money somehow, right? Like what, what skill sets do we need to learn? How do we build communities? Like all these things we were, the Facebook was starting to show us that we could do. We started really, really early. And, um, and so when you're looking at an audience, you have to serve an audience. You have to find someone you can serve uh, in order to base it, to be successful. Like you got to do something for somebody, right? So um, we were testing things, meaning we were like building Facebook pages really early and, and testing communities of people and seeing who responds the most and to whether it be content, we, whether we wrote articles or whether it be products, like, cause we would in early in the days, we'd say, Hey, this is a cool product. Like they do on TikTok now. And people would be like, Oh, cool. And it would go viral when you buy it. Right. Like that's not a new concept. That's just a new, it's new on TikTok or newer, but Facebook, we did that back in the day too. So we were just testing. And so we fell into this market that was just so responsive and so excited. And that was the pet market. It was just people just love their love their animals like just it would it would went bananas and so that was a clear indicator like there's something there so at that we actually started building it and it was pretty successful pretty quickly um doing a, a couple million dollars a year in revenue maybe and uh someone came someone came to part my my partner was and i was like hey i want to buy this from you guys so uh, and i was like and then you know at that point in time we had to make a decision like hey was this is this going to be actually going to build this thing like, mm -hmm. or is this going to be a hobby that we sell off, right? It's going to become a business or be a hobby. And we both sat down and we wrote down what we wanted. And one of the things I remember writing was like, we want to basically 
put our kids through college with whatever we're doing. Like we want it to be meaningful from a life perspective, not just like a blip, like one thing on the radar. We wanted it to be bigger um, than it was. So we decided we're going to keep it. So we kept it and we're like, okay, well, now that we've committed to this thing, because before it was an experiment that made money, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Now it's like, okay, we have to make this a business so that we can sustain it long-term, reinvest in it, uh, put put wealth away for ourselves, right? Like we got to build something that, uh, that we can actually, you know, create some predictability for families if we want to grow families in this because we both started having kids and and all that and so we said okay so we started just building the framework of a business trying to figure out what we're going to offer what solutions we're going to or offer the market what what we're going to problem solve for the consumer um and it started by uh, we really started writing articles about topics so we want to become a thought leader in the space and because when you're a thought, when you can write content that people read, you instantly become validated by the reader, especially if it's something they're looking for. So if I'm looking for the best XYZ and you provide the, hey, the best way to figure out you know, what the best XYZ is, like instantly there's a, there's trust uh, built because I'm consuming content that you created, right, about that topic. Uh, and you're helping me in that journey. Did that for pets. Um and so people start asking tons of questions like, hey, where do I get this? Where do I get that? How do I do this? How do I do that? Uh, and then that was like, okay, let's we're, we're solving the problem. We're teaching them where to go to get stuff and they're going to get it. Let's build the thing they get, right? Let's actually build the end product um, because we're already sending them all over here to, 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 to buy this thing because it solves the problem. Like let's be part of the solution, not only in education, but also in the physical product. And then that's when we really launched our e-com and it started with just trying to find, asking our community like, hey, what do you want? What are you looking for? Uh, and looking at what they're, what, what they're already buying and then build, starting with building that and offering it. And then that just, that was really the genesis of um, how the business really scaled. Um, because it went from doing a few million to doing, you know, this year we'll do over 20 million. And like that all comes from that, like moving from just creating content and, and building community to actually offering a product. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. First of all, congratulations on, on that as being, I guess, you know, a, a nice, interesting journey and that is still continuing. So, and, and I will ask you later more about, you know, what does also mean to scale, right? The business and making different numbers because going from zero to one, it's something from one to five, it's something else, five to 10, you know, it's not just doing more everything changes, right? In terms of workflow, in terms of structure, in terms of payments, cash flow, and so on, right? But uh, um, you uh, mentioned, uh, you know, in, when, when we met that you have like, a, you know, a big, uh, like sort of like the, the largest, right, portfolio of, of social media pages, right? And I would like to to learn more about that because you said that you started with like articles, right? Understanding what people wanted to, to see. They were asking questions, right? You were solving either a problem or you were answering questions and, you know, and then you were, I guess, driving traffic, right? To do uh, maybe an, an, an item on an e-commerce page and so on, right? But uh, um, these, again, nowadays people know with TikTok and everything, but like we're talking about what, like eight years ago when, when you started, right? Something like that. And, and it was, it was uh, a bit different, right? It was still at the beginning. So, um, first of all, how many pages do you do you own slash manage? And uh, I would like also to know how do you manage them because uh, I'm pretty sure that it's quite interesting also on that. Yeah, so we I think right now we have about a hundred pages. We call it pages. Like so, we have we have social accounts across all social media, mm-hmm. right? So we have um, stuff on Twitter, we have stuff on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, like you name it. We we built a portfolio of places uh, on social 
to basically syndicate content about pets, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where we engage people one-on-one is kind of in that platform wherever they're doing that, right? So basically like one, one big component of that is, so we have 100 pages, we have probably 40 million followers across all those accounts, right? Wow. And um, one, one, the way we manage that right now is we got to the point where we could not manage it ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like we couldn't manage it one-on-one and it was, and we even couldn't manage it with the US team because it was so substantial. Mm-hmm. So we had to accept that like, we, we had to accept that like, there has to be an MVP, like there has to be a minimum form of management mm-hmm. uh, at that scale that we had to be okay with. Meaning like not every page is going to get a hundred percent of love or not every asset is going to get like the same love. If you had one, right. You have so many, but we could get them all to basically work together to help drive the business forward. So we built a team overseas. And so we actually have a team of about 15 people overseas uh, that run that basically take all the content we create, take the model we have and they execute it kind of on a daily basis. Wow. Okay. It, it makes sense. But, uh, so now you having these, all this support, right. To managing them, but, uh, how did you actually made it from the beginning? Because again, a lot of people have that sort of problem, right. That it's difficult to go from zero to one. So I wanted to ask you, is there any like growth hacking techniques and tactics that you, um, you know, find out that work well for you and, both for the digital world, right? But also for the physical products, right? Because somebody destroying things digitally that don't have like logistics, that, not, that you don't need a storage, right? So growth hacking for digital is something, but then you need also growth hacking for the, the physical items, right? So is there anything that top of your mind make like clicked and made a difference in your journey so far? Yeah, so I think, so, re- so really where it comes down to is like, when we when you when you're building anything, whether it be a digital asset, and I actually consult and coach guys who are building digital asset businesses just to help them move their with their journey, um, it all comes down to like you got to find a an audience somewhere. Like that's where you build authority, and that's actually how you test your product. So it's like a lot of times people will well they'll they'll start with the product. So they'll say, hey, I made this digital book, I made this course, I made this guide. Uh, all right, now I got to go sell it, right? And that's really difficult to do. Um, the, the one thing that we can't, well, one thing that I recommend though, is actually to start with, so say you do, you can build that, but like, instead of that being the, the first thing you do is really build an audience in the topic on the platform that resonates with them that you want to lean into and learn exactly what they need and what they want from you before you build it. Right. Cause it may be the same thing, but usually it's not like, so here's an example. There's tons of like, uh, emerging communities all across the internet, right? Um, there's, there's some that are ex- exploding on Reddit, for example, right. Where it's like, there's a niche and it's like, whatever. Now, if that's that you want to go into, um, find where people already are. Cause like the first thing is trying to make a new community from zero is extremely difficult. It's a cold start problem, right? You just, it's mm-hmm. so difficult. Um, not impossible, but it costs you now it's more and more expensive. So we try to growth hack communities that exist in a positive way. So like, um, so say for example, you're doing something on, I'm just gonna make this up. Like you're making rockets, right? Or something, or you're writing a guide on how to build a rocket or something. I mm-hmm. think about that. Um, and so like, you're going to go to where, well, like, do you build a community in a place where you are about that? Well, that may not be where your community is, right? So like, you want to look at like, the major platforms and usually you're talking about Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, uh, Reddit, you know, those, and maybe even Medium too, like as a community, 
mm-hmm. figure out where people already are getting together and having these conversations. And then that's where you kind of learn to insert yourself into that dialogue. Like a, by being part of the community, learning what people want, right? B, you're also going to build a rapport with that community. So when it is time to launch the thing you want to launch, right? You already have an affinity with people that you're end user, you're in customer, right? So what I always tell people is like you, like you want to build the community first, or at least live where the your community already exists first before you start building products, because the the product the community will tell you what they want and what they don't want pretty quickly. And so spending all that time trying to build something you think is cool or you think works, um, most of the time we end up with that's usually if we do we usually end up refining that variation or, or refining it to multiple variations later, um, the closer you can build to your audience, the, the more success you're going to have. And like, I'll give you an example of, I have a friend of mine that I'm, that I'm coaching who does, um, he has eBooks and guides for things. Um, some of it is around like mental health, things like that. Like, uh, and, uh, he built an Instagram first. Okay. So mm-hmm. built the Instagram first. Then, um, he built a guide based on what people were asking. Right. And that guy has done $40,000 in the last 30 days, like just boom. Right. But he spent the time building a community first to better understand, you know, what they needed. So, and then he could bring that to them. So for us, we always build, we always either build or acquire communities first, and then we learn what they want. And then we build products for them. So I think you don't have to own it. You don't have to have the biggest following a TikTok. You don't have the biggest following Instagram or Facebook, you don't at all. You just need to have an audience that's somewhere that you can speak into. So like, whether they're all, whether they're, if they're collected on Instagram, whether they're, you know, somewhere else, you just want to be a part of that dialogue. I think that um, Twitter is another great place too. I think I met so many awesome creators in the same way, but you have to figure that out. So the growth hack is to figure out where people are first, even if you can't own that community. Uh, and before you, and then, you know, then you're going to valid, use that community to further validate your product, to further validate what you want to do, what you want to build, like those kind of things. Um, so we're always we're, we're always community first. Like that's the first thing. Can we get a community around it? Does one exist, or can we build one? Like that's and, the first question. And and, and nowadays, to be honest, like uh, maybe I saw it most probably there are like chief community officer, right? Every company out there. Even if we are not necessarily like community based, but they are understanding that even in the in the B two B in the platform, it's in the SaaS. You want to have the community first, right? And uh, and getting the the feedback from them and building new features all on their feedbacks. Because I'm pretty sure, like you are building things that people want, not the opposite. Like you know, just going out with somebody like hoping, right? Like spray and pray type of technique. Like be like, hey, uh, we built twenty of these. <laughs> we hope you like them, right? Uh, is that it's again, it's common sense, right, to go out and ask it. But uh, I'm noticing that a lot of uh, new platform, new apps, uh, they build things without asking to people, do you actually need this, right, or do you like this, right? So uh, that is uh, makes sense. And I'm also uh, wondering, what was the scrappiest things that you made the first days of your business? Is there anything that now you look back and you're like, either like I wouldn't do it again, or Wow, that was like wild, but much needed now. Is there anything, any story that you can share with us? Yeah, I think so. We were, our, our main focus is like validate, 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 right? Mm-hmm. Whether the product, whether the offering, or whether it like that you could even, that the audience even wants something, you know? So early on, our websites were so terrible. Like we didn't have a, we had a dot com, but it was like five words. Like the right now, we had the, one of our main, brands is iheartdogs.com like mm-hmm. iheartdogs.com 
Uh, the first website we had literally was I, the I love my dog site.com. And it was like just a pre-market validation. It was like the ugliest website. Like I couldn't even spell it to people. Cause it was like the, I love my dog site.com. Um, and so I remember being, it was like one of the people were like, well, man, how are you doing? Like, you don't, cause people spend so much time on a website, right? Mm -hmm. Like so much time and so much money. Uh, and we just whipped it with like WP themes, but bam, WordPress, boom, 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 do, domain. And, and then like, while they're trying to build their, um, website, we were doing hundreds of thousands of revenue. Right. And so like for me early on, we bootstrapped everything. We still do a lot, but like we development is an area where we always figure we always kind of hacked it. You know, we always kind of like duct tape the back end of it together. Um, because, uh, because it, that was such a commitment and, and consumers, what they want and what they need changes so much. Right. Uh, we'd also heard horror stories of people who paid so much money. We've all heard this to build something. Mm -hmm. And then that, then all of a sudden they're stuck because they can't fix it or like, you know, and we're like, look, if we got to take a dollar and turn it into a dollar 50 or $2, we've got to spend that on marketing and product. Like that's yeah. like, that has to go there. So the other stuff we're just going to figure out. So like we, we had to learn how to code early on. Like we were bootstrapped, mm -hmm. hacking it together. Um, all those things really early. I mean, we even look back and laugh at them like, oh man, like that was like, that was like the ugliest website. Right. But, it's, but we got, we could nail the product and the purpose. So like the community, we didn't really care. Right. They were there. They could get the product. They wanted it. Boom. Um, and it wasn't to the ugly. To, we made it so that it was legit enough. Right. We didn't feel like a scam, but it was right. definitely like, like from a UX designer's perspective, they would have had a heart attack. Like, you know like, I, mean? I can see yourself going on Stack Overflow by yourself and copy paste, right? Like, uh, you know, like yeah. asking to the community, these are CSS, uh, like, you no, know, it's not uh, showing me like yeah. downvote and upvotes and, you know, people just hating on you because you're not, you know, that, that good in doing that. But like, hey, actually, I'm here to ask a question. So I, I feel you on that. So did you, did you learn coding yourself something like, or, or at least maybe... Markup languages like HTML, CSS. Yeah, we'll do. We don't do so. Really, we really is WordPress, and then WordPress themes are the are, are our friends. Uh -huh. So we learned enough to to be able to go in there and like pull stuff out, and you know, just enough to, be, to get in trouble. Our first hire, actually, besides um, customer support, because we really need help with customers, mm -hmm. was um, our leader, next leadership hire was definitely someone who had tech like background, like new, because we're like, we're going to, we're like selling online and it's just dangerous when we're in there updating code like ourselves, you know? Yeah. 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 I, I, I can see that like just yourself going there and maybe breaking one line of a code because of a comma, <laughs> all the business proof is gone, you know? So totally like you just break the store and then, yeah, it's like, where's the revenue? Yeah. It, that was uh that's definitely one of the big things I think. So all of our stuff really was really ugly. Um, mm -hmm like really ugly. We, we laugh about it, but I think that some, there's this, there's this duality. It's like when you provide enough value, you can, you can get a little bit of grace in certain areas, right? If you have a product that's just so good or mm -hmm. a solution that's so well fitted for an audience, um, you like, you can get away with a little bit more, you know, it doesn't like, so I, I always tell entrepreneurs, like, where are you spending your money? Usually in like, usually it, they, I will have, usually I'll, co they'll, they'll reach out to me. Like if I do some coaching, one-on-one -on -one coaching, typically it's like either in the beginning we're like, hey, like I, this thing's starting to show has momentum. Mm -hmm. Like how do I build the right system? Or B, after they built the wrong system, which is they focused on the wrong things, right? They put all their money into building an app. They put all their money into building a site. And then uh, then everything else kind of fell apart, right? Like, yeah, they have a great website, but now no sales are happening. 
right? Mm-hmm. So like um, what I always say is just, especially you're validating an idea, you know, don't worry so much about uh, the aesthetics, like it's important, but you always get better. Just make sure your offering is killer. If you have a really great offer, digital or physical, I mean, that's, once you have that, then the rest of it can be figured out, right? So um, I usually try to get people to steer in that direction. So kind of answering your question is all of our stuff looked pretty ugly in the beginning. It was pretty ugly. Um, we do, we are our own designers. So we like make designer ads. They're so ugly. Um, and maybe that's why they work. People were like, this can't be real. Like, <laughs> they're like, is this, is this a scam or like it's a, yeah, yeah. Like putting together a thousand different colors, uh, different fonts together and giant you know, text. Like, yeah, I like that. What do you think, guys? Like, yeah, I love it. You know, and, and maybe only like if you ask it to someone else, was like, uh, guys, if I had to be honest, we were like, this is not the most compelling. Like, uh- Hey, quick break. This podcast is hosted by the Influencer Marketing Factory. We are an influencer marketing agency that helps brands and companies engage with Gen Z and millennials on social media. We take care of influencer identification, storytelling, creativity, negotiation, contracting, campaign management, error analysis, in-depth reporting, content boosting, and much, much more. Are you interested in learning more? You can find us at theinfluencermarketingfactory.com or you can Google The Influencer Marketing Factory. If you look back, right, and you said that before when it was already like, you know, a couple of millions, right? It was like, okay, this this is taking a certain shape. Now you said like you're looking at what, around 20 millions per year? Uh, what does it change in a business like that? Like, is there, first of all, is there any difference or in your type of business, um, did you just have to, let's say, scale up the business or did you have to change things from organizational charts, uh, um, cash flow, um, going from net 30 to net, I don't know, like, is there anything that you learn your way uh, that you have to completely change in the way you do things uh, in order to, again, make the make it still efficient and, and go to the next level? Great question. I do. I think that there's thresholds where the business really has to be kind of rebuilt um, because of the amount of complexity, really. So, um, and this is in some businesses, there's outliers where some guys doing, you know, millions of dollars, one person, and it's a little different, you know, Um, but like, for example, SaaS. So they launch a SaaS product. That's, I think there's there's outliers. Uh, I think with you're selling physical or digital product and you have a team, you know, there's and you're not bootstrap. I mean, and you're like, you're bootstrap, meaning like you're not raising money because raising money also has its own trajectory. Like you got to go. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of like principles that you don't apply because you need to show numbers. Right. Um, you're building a business. You want to be profitable. You want to be successful. Uh, and you can, whether you raise money or not, like you want to build a sound, sound business. It's like, once you get, it's like zero to five, zero to a million is one model. Like a million to five is a model, like five to 10. And then, you know, once you get 10, to 20 it's its own model so when you're the the more money so the more money the business is running typically the more cash flow matters mm-hmm. the more um cash management matters so like once you're 10 million plus i mean you're you're having a you know eight hundred thousand to a million dollars a month coming in, in revenue and you have that's really reading the cash flow game it's a whole different model so we brought a cfo on a fractional cfo who, who's mm-hmm. who is, he used to work for he's done a lot of stuff for like like what we consider legacy clients like IBM and Dell. He used to work at those places like that. So he has this really old school framework that works well when you're doing cash management. Cause like the biz, the way we build businesses now is rapidly changed. The way we manage cash hasn't as much, right? Like, so like, um, like you still, like you need to have, like once you get into that level, it's like you're floating capital somehow, like someone owes you money, either it comes in the same time or they owe it to you. 
So you have accounts receivable, right? And you have things you got to pay. They give you terms, you get terms. So this this whole thing. So like the business really after 10 million, I felt like really shifted into um, like the cash flow game, which is yeah. how can you keep as much cash in the bank and ma- make sure you're managing what you owe and what you're making, right? Like making sure that you're mm-hmm. profitable. Um, that was big teams. Like for example, as someone who's a scrappy founder, when you build teams, um, at first it's, I think it was really fun. Like, Hey, we're, we, there's people in the room now let's do some stuff, you know, as it grows, then they start having, you realize, Oh wow, they do have more needs than just me mm-hmm. being like high-fiving them. Right. Like they need to yeah. feel like their job matters. They need to know what their title is. They know, you know, have clarity in what the organization does, what their role does, who their manager is. Like that was a whole learning lesson, right? Cause it used to be like, Hey dude, let's high-five and crush this thing. And then, you know, but then, then it's like, Oh wow. No, there's so many more structured things. Uh, then they you know, then you're like oh well there's well we're in a size so we gotta have benefits to be competitive right like mm-hmm. you know it just changes I think um, the reason I think also why cash flow matters so much is that the cost of doing business just increases over time typically as you grow as you add headcount uh, as you expand your business your offering usually uh, if you especially with a product driven business right because the idea is a product driven business is it usually grows because there's selling we're selling more product right so. That itself is cash is really cash flow, but people I think the biggest challenge for a founder is um a lot of like I'm more of a visionary kind of um creative founder uh there are stages in a company where it's really when I have a co-founder that's the opposite, and that's been a huge advantage because like he's more of a, a um kind of a he's more of a system systems guy like he thinks more like in systems mm-hmm. um he's our integrator um I'm more of a creative person. So like, so, and sometimes in some seasons, the business, you need a lot of creative juice. You just mm-hmm. do. You need, you need a lot more creative input. And there's times, there's seasons in the business where you need more of a, like systems and stability and like just execution, right? Yeah. Uh, not more ideas. Mm-hmm. And that balance is, is, is always, I think, really tough as you get bigger because um, the, the organization, especially as you grow, we've been doing things, we've been cons- pretty consistent, like we've been, we've been doing, you know, close to 20 million for the past three or four or five years. So like really consistent. Um, and so over time, you know, you build systems and things like that, but you still need that. But if you look at the cash flow mix, like what's where our revenue is coming from, it drastically changes every year. Like it's really, so it's like, wow, this year we did this much this year, close the same, right. Mm -hmm. Or the same or more, but it's like, whoa, like where it came from completely shifted. Right. So that's an example of like, you know, especially building online, things are always changing, platforms are always changing. So you got to have um, systems and things like that, but you can't lose your entrepreneurial edge, right? Yes. And, and also you can't underestimate how much your system, your business, or your business really needs systems too. So it's like that. It's like your brain, right? Left part, uh, right part. It's exactly. Yeah, to it together. I, I totally see you. You need someone that is systematic because you're not, it's chaos and anarchy. But you also want to have that edge, right? Because if not, competition is going to come like for you, right? And uh, they sometimes maybe have a worse system than you, but they have more energy because they're new in the market, right? And they want just to attack it, right? So uh, absolutely, I, I see you on that. And uh, um, is, is there anything that you learn? So the cash flow, absolutely important. And then you said that you're almost now or already like 70 people, uh, you know, between the US, also some other overseas. Is there anything that you learn in these past eight years? Any pieces of advice for anyone that is hiring and if unfortunately you also have to fire and, and why that happened? Yeah. 
So, you know, I think the workforce has really changed a lot in the past, like, 36 months, right? We've seen this with COVID and stuff, but before that too. So like we went through both phases. I was just at a CEO summit and it seems like people were pretty split either. They're either all remote or they're all on site. It seems like that. Now we're actually completely the middle. So we we have half the staff who are shipping and picking and packing and shipping stuff. They're on site because they have to be physically to touch. The rest of the team, some are local, but they work remotely. And then we have a lot of team that we've hired overseas. We will continue hiring outsourced people most likely um, for for really for a few reasons. And that's what we learned. So we brought everyone in house. So we had a remote team first, Mm -hmm. brought everyone in house. And now we're kind of a hybrid, right? And um, for us, that's the best balance for a business. One is the world is, there's a lot of really smart people out there around the world. And you can find great talent in a lot of different places. And so the, the challenge, I think, with the digital business is like you're paying taxes where you reside. And normally with a business who's physically located, you're limited by people that are geographically available to you, right? Yes. Um, and so for a while, we kind of had that mindset. We're like, all right, we're building a company. Let's – we're here. Oh, I don't know if – well, how do we manage that person remotely? And how, how do we make sure that they're on task? And you know, all those things have been solved. Like mm-hmm. all that's been solved. So for us, um, now we're like, all right, well, all our new, like, for example, I don't, I really don't anticipate local hires for the foreseeable future, like at all. Um, And that just because it has with the economy in Southern California, where we are located, it's very expensive to bring people on. Um, And so um, it's one of those things where like, all right, well, if we find the right person though, and they can create tremendous amount of value and we can justify that, cool. Otherwise we're going to be open. We're going to be open to like... You know, and so a lot of our business has been built around deliverables versus like time. So like, and and that's the best way we felt to manage, I think, manage employees. Cause it's like, if you can get stuff done, like if you get your job done, like, like honestly, uh, like I don't care, you know, how you manage your day, as long as stuff gets done when it needs to be done and you're delivering with excellence. So it's like, right. So it's like, if you're home, you're crushing it and you spend three hours in the morning and your team knows it and you're three hours here, you know, whatever, 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 and it fits your lifestyle. Fantastic. Like, I don't want to have to micromanage anyone. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Where it's like, Hey, did you put your time in? Did you get your hours in? Like, so, um, so we really give people a lot of freedom there. Obviously if you're in the warehouse or warehouse, they have different shifts and things, but we try to accommodate that same way the best we can. Right. Like, do you want to come in early? Do you want to come in late? Like what's your flow? Like that kind of thing. But um, ultimately, um, the biggest thing I think is uh, the with hiring. A lot of the lessons have come around people. Uh, people are the biggest challenge because you, they can be your biggest asset or your biggest liability in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but for us, I think that the world is open for business. Like I think that's the coolest thing that's really come out of COVID is that like you can find amazing talent, um, and that's that you know. You, anywhere and you just got to be okay with it so there's a lot of guys i meet still which surprises me because i think in our world people are like oh remote that's like that's what you do like you can do remote people there's still a lot of businesses that have a really hard time with that um but i think that will change so for me so for us really it's been like we've learned both we've had both full fully fully on the ground payroll in-house in an office in meetings all the time and then the remote and then both and i think that the new, I think the hybrid is really one of the most beneficial models because the people that you need to get in, like we'll, we'll fly people in, sit down in a room, knock it out, you know, spend a week, we go off and execute. So I think that we're really seeing the world move to that in, in the businesses that can, you know, uh, and for us, that's the easiest life component. Like that makes life easier when, 
we were at a point with people where you, what we found is that you tend to over meeting. Like when you're in on, on site, when you're there together, you tend to have way too many meetings and way too many con- like you're not even getting your work done. You know, it's yeah. like it's it's mostly one meeting after the other, right? And it's like, okay, but <laughs> what did what did that work today? Like no no time. You yeah, know? yeah. So so I, and I think that so we've learned that. But one, but one of the most important things with people, I would say, for those who are running companies are looking, is the framework. So we use what's called EOS or Pinnacle. It's basically an operating system that helps you. It gives you a roadmap to run your business. Like here's how you set up your organization chart. And like, here's the leadership structure. And like, you know, things that you, you kind of either someone teaches you or you just fall into. Mm-hmm. Now we just kind of found ourselves there and there's a lot of issues, but when we standardized it and create a system um, and followed kind of a map of like success, like people have done it like this for a long time for a reason kind of thing. Um, everything from like documenting stuff to like having an org chart correctly, all this stuff. Uh, it really did change the personnel component of it. Like it made the hiring a lot easier. Uh, it made accountability a lot easier, uh, those type of things. So um, early on, and I'll say, and I guess the, the one thing early on I'll say is that we really didn't, as an owner, didn't care about roles or earlier on per se, right? Because like, no matter what you call me, like I'm in the seat. We didn't understand the power of titles or uh, the gravity of titles for people really early on. So it'd be like, oh, well, what title do you want? Cool. That's great. You've had that one. Right. Cause like, yeah, uh, but it creates so many issues. So I would say uh, anyone starting up or wherever they are, like as you're built team building, really be intentional about how you set up your organization uh, in your field, like the right roles. Uh, and then also have the right titles because um, even though you may not think giving a, a higher title means anything, it will mean something, even if it doesn't now. Right. So like you want to really be like, cause people's identity get wrapped up in that. So you really want to be, when you build your organization, you, what we found is like, whether they're local or whatever, you want to have the titles correct. That's totally. a big one. Totally. And also something that I noticed, to be honest, coming myself from Europe, uh, the titles between Europe, for example, the US and the rest of the world, you know, different other countries, they have different meanings, to be honest. And they also have different power, like, you know, in the company. So someone that could be like a head of uh, compared to a director in Europe, like, again, they they sometimes in a maybe smaller startup when they start, like, as you said, they really have no meaning because you are giving away like it's candies, right? Uh, but as you expand, you start realizing that like, oh, wow, actually that means a lot because I didn't think that maybe this person comes from, again, this other country and that in that country, that title is the most important thing in our organization. While in the U.S., you know, I noticed, for example, a lot of, uh, in the U.S., there is a lot of VP, for example, and some other titles, while in Europe, we have like maybe more like GM, like, so it changes. And I think that uh, I, I do agree with you. At the beginning, you don't think about it too much because like, ah, whatever. But then as you start scaling up, if you don't fix it in time, can, can become right a bit a bit problematic, right? Yeah, that's a big one. I think that's one that one we really over, overlooked because um, it'll it, it creates dynamic. Like as you're trying to build this thing and trying to keep this thing alive and all of that, it creates an undercurrent against what you're doing because like yeah. ultimately that person who gets that title is going to Google like the mark what they're paid in the market, you know, mm-hmm. and try to figure out, oh wow, okay, why well, that's a great title. I'm glad I have it now. Now that I need the pay to come with it, when you were just thinking, "Hey, I, I like you. Like you're doing a great job. Let me give you a little title, you know, or whatever." So um, you can avoid a lot of heartburn just wow. by being aware of that when you set it up. This this is one of those things, I guess, that up, you know, you don't become an entrepreneur, right? It's it's one of those things that really you don't you don't think about it till I think you 
play with that, right? And and then and then you get on that. And that's why I wanted to, you know, talk, you know, uh, entrepreneur to entrepreneur because uh, it's I think uh, you know we we can again learn so much from these type of things. And uh, I wanted to have this conversation with you because I also want to have a lot of other people that are maybe are willing, like they want to start a company to. Uh, and that's my big advice. And I don't know if you agree with that, but like from the beginning, play a bit less like the game of being an entrepreneur. Like, you know, I'm going to do all these uh, Google sheet with all these uh, forecasts and numbers, right? Um, play maybe more about, as you said, the product has to be good, right? Uh, finding the right people and so on. And then only once you get to a sh- the right shape, start looking at things uh, like titles and so on. But uh, thinking twice about everything because you might, again, like, you know, just giving away things uh, um, because you want to go faster without losing time. But then um, it cost, could cost twice, if not more, right? Triple of, of that, right, in, in, in time. It's totally true. Yeah, and it's, it doesn't, it feels like, it feels like you're going slower. So it feels like mm-hmm. by doing the, like, taking the time to do these things when you're growing, especially fast or catching into market, but actually you're just priming yourself to go faster later you know it makes sense and um okay so um changing completely subject uh i wanted to know uh something that might be uh, both interesting and funny about your industry right so mostly pets industry right um all the time whenever i can i ask statistics numbers uh, metrics anything like that from any guest so we had you know guests from you know reporters and uh, um marketers and content creators and the people that SaaS businesses and each of them they have something that like either blew my mind or i didn't know so i wanted to ask you a couple of metrics that you can share with us one is like let's call it a serious metric right something that uh, people don't know about your business it could be anything and then a funny one, again, you are into the pets industry, so I'm pretty sure that you have something like, you know, interesting. So what's, uh, what's uh, the, the two that come up to, to your mind? Yeah, the ones, so the serious ones, the ones the most is actually the amount of dogs in the U.S. is pretty substantial from a, mm-hmm. from a global perspective. So there's like, there's 78 million dogs in the United States, 78 million. So like, wow. to give you an example, like there, uh, if you follow soccer, or if you follow uh, baseball, there's uh-huh. about 45 million tickets a year sold to those games in the U.S. So, like, it's like um, you could fill every single state sports stadium, for, like every baseball stadium, with a dog with each seat almost twice over. That's how many dogs there. <laughs> and sorry, but I'm envisioning that. Like, I'm just envisioning yeah. <laughs> a place with, like, 70 million of, like, wow, okay. Uh, crazy. So there's, and then on top of that, you have 58 million cats. So, like... The, uh, the, 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 actually the amount, like by su- the amount of the volume is actually really substantial. In fact, there is one state though, uh, that takes the, that takes the cake. Like there's actually one state where 70% of people are more have a dog. Can you guess what state that is? Why it's Wyoming. <laughs> okay. Yep. Wow. You tend to find like more animals when you have more space, basically. I mean, like yeah. per person. So yeah, seventy-one percent of people there actually own dogs. Wow, I'm still I'm still thinking about the number. Like in my mind, it's it's huge. It's a huge market. That's why they they say it's recession proof. It just depends what category you're in, you know. But people are, people don't stop buying food for their pets, right? Ever. Yeah, yeah. 
and of course, and you want to spoil them, right? You 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 want to right to have them like a great life. And back in the day, it was like a dog life, you know. And nowadays, like I, I would love to, you know, switch with my dog sometimes. Yeah, you know, just living their life for for a week, you know, amazing. Okay. On that note, too, there's some statistics I thought you'd find pretty funny that I always laugh. So, um, in the U.S., fifty percent fifty percent of households buy their their dog a Christmas gift. 50%. Okay. Um, um, in the UK, it's 81%. So <laughs> they really I see love that. it. I'm one of those people, you know, guilty. So I, I can I totally see that. Why? Yes, it makes sense. Wow. Um, and is it like, what type of like, do you know, like, is it like a edible? Is it like a... Boy or a treat, typically. Okay. 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 Make, like for sense. them, right? Like for them. We get a lot of, we actually get a lot of dopamine, but when we give gifts to our dogs, our brains actually are wired to kick dopamine to us just mm -hmm. when, when we see them happy. Like there's a, yeah. a connected, uh, there's a connection there. So like that's what people love to treat their dog because they love the dopamine hit really they get of their dog getting something that they're excited about, you know? I know, I know totally. Crazy yeah. psychology. Yeah. And actually um, I'll throw another one at you because I've always found this is, is pretty fascinating. They did this study of uh, elderly people, basically 70 plus uh, that mm -hmm. had dogs and they found that, the the folks are over 70 that had dogs went to the doctor 30 percent less than the people that didn't hmm. it's like a pretty wow. substantial swing it's not like one or two percent it's like 30 percent like one third less lot. yeah yeah okay okay i love the science here also like you know it's it's more than just like a, a cute video online but actually can help wow that's pretty powerful that like that's the best part it's it's pretty the psychology with pets is it's incredible um, if you ever want to have yes. a really fun rabbit hole, like just start, start Googling that. It's like just crazy. The studies they've done. Uh, we did a, and I'll, I'll leave one, I'll leave one more for you. I have a ton of these by the way, cause this is all we do. Um, is that yes. we did a study. We actually did a, a survey of, I think 5,000 mm -hmm. dog owners. We found that 59% of them kiss their dog more than they do their significant other. <laughs> hey, so you can, you can see that, right? People. Yeah. Uh, I love 59% you said. Wow. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's funny. Interesting. And, uh, to be honest, like I'm seeing a lot of TikTok videos uh, with couples and be like, you know, they either do like, you know, do you love mom or dad more? And I, I, I can see, I can see why, like, you know, uh, sometimes you give more kisses to, uh, to your dog than, uh, than sometimes it's possible because at the end of the day, like you can be like, you know, fighting maybe with, with your partner, uh, but with a dog after a couple of minutes, it's over. Right. So, <laughs> so I can see why that's amazing. And that is, that is a survey that you run yourself. Yeah. We do a lot of market data. Remember like I said in the beginning, we take communities, we ask them, we learn as much as we can about them. So we ask them wow. you know, facts and we survey them, things like that. And so actually this is one point that I tell people a lot that I coach. And it's like this, build, build a business in a place you want to be. Because like mm -hmm. I've built, I've had businesses I've worked on where we built businesses in certain sectors, like the healthcare sector that are, are just not fun. It's not fun. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's brutal. It's like a blood sport, right? And like, there's a place for that, I think ultimately, but like, if you really want, if your purpose is to build a business to give you freedom to enjoy what you're doing, like that was like, like, Hey, I want to make money. And I really want to be, I really want to love what I'm doing. Like I want to be part of that. And like where you build is important. So like building the pet space, even though it's a business and there's economics, they're difficult. Like the businesses mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you're really in a fun world, you know? So uh, I think that helps us a lot with like just whenever we have bad months or when, you know, things happen in business, like those challenges, when you're in a space, you're like, 
that's not that you enjoy being in, it really does help your journey, like as you're building, Absolutely. right? It makes a huge difference. I can see that like either if you do that or like I was uh, talking with someone I was like, yeah, I mean like in the kidney, uh, sorry, like was like the candy business. I was like, at the end of the day, you just take like a chocolate bar. It's everything's better you know, like, <laughs> with that. So it does make sense. It does make sense. And uh, so to start wrapping up, I have like a super quick Q&A like, you know, session. Uh, just tell me like can be even one word as a as, as an answer okay i just want to do it super quickly so top of your mind that whatever comes out okay that's it it's it's a few of them so again don't overthinking i just want to see something super that comes from you so first one i just chose it because you're in the pets so um this is easy easy but uh dogs or cats dogs uh like it uh, if you were a superhero uh what power uh would you want to have Oh, wow. That's a good one. Um, what did Popeye have? Do you, did you have Popeye in Europe? Do you yeah, yeah, we do, we do. Yeah. I guess muscles on demand. Is that what it was? Okay. Like, I like I it. Yeah, yeah. It was like with the, with the spinach, right? Yeah, that, that yeah. Was, uh, Always fighting that a bad guy. Yep. Always figured it out. Yep. Love it. Uh, favorite movie? Oh, man. I would say Blade. You guys, you remember Blade? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice one. Um, okay. So... You won 10 millions at the lottery, so just cash on you. First thing that you buy. Oh, it's funny. I thought of this. So uh, the first <laughs> thing I do is actually I'm giving every, I'm making every one of my employees a millionaire. That's the first thing mm-hmm. we're doing. Like everyone okay, who works nice. with me is a millionaire. Um, the second thing is I'm just going to stick it in the bank and then go to work the next day. <laughs> if they show up. <laughs> if they show up. Yeah, that's I, I don't know about that. Let's see. Let's see if that happens. But uh, I, I, I like the gesture there and, and the nice thought. Um, favorite food? Oh, man. I would say uh, pizza. New York pizza. Love it. And favorite drink? I'd say probably... Whew, this changes a lot. I don't think you can beat a good glass of wine. I don't think you can. Uh, absolutely, especially. I mean, with with the, with the pizza, you can do it. Maybe with the beer, but uh, I, I was trying, you know, to put them together. But uh, um, and then, um, would you either like uh, be able to breathe underwater or fly? Oh, fly for sure. And the last two, um, books or movies? Books. Uh, and on that, book smarts or street smart? Street smart. <laughs> <laughs> That's everything for me. Like I wanted just to like, you know, finish on a, on a note and getting something from you like super quickly, because again, you know, uh, sometimes people can uh, just get the best out of uh, not just super complex questions, but at the end of the day, you look in the mirror and be like, okay, answer these things. Maybe they, they say something about myself. Right. Um, is there anything else that I, I didn't ask you or something that you wanted to share with the audience today? No, actually, I think that uh, really the re- recap of it was, um, if you're going to build a business, you're building it, just make sure you know who your audience is. And, and then whether you own them or you can find a place to reach them, just connect with them and then uh, keep that feedback loop going because that's going to make you really successful. Love it. Thank you so much. Marshall, yeah. this was really, really fun, really insightful. Uh, so thank you so much for joining thank me you. today. Uh, and for everyone else, this was the Influence Factor by the Influence Marketing Factory. And uh, I'll see you in the next episode. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.